How's it going, coaches? Uh, hopefully everyone's doing well. Uh, hopefully you guys are enjoying the podcast. Uh, we're really excited for this one today as well. If you haven't yet, make sure you go check out my One Back Power course over on CoachTube. Uh, you can find it by going to rtpclass.com. You can also go over to CoachTube and check out a bunch of other football coaches, uh, courses that they've put up there. A lot of guys that have been on the podcast, a lot of guys that are going to be on the podcast. Uh, as an example, right, Slade Singleton has his rule of four. He's got his unlocking the air raid offense and uh, two or three other courses. Coach Mackey, who has his own podcast, also has a pin and pull RPO ebook over on CoachTube. We're going to have Coach Velarvik on here in a few weeks. Uh, he's got his scorched earth offense. And then Coach, Chris, Coach Christensen of Arizona State, who's got his entire offensive line system uh, that I'm kind of combing through right now. It's been awesome. Uh, it's been a lot of great tips, a lot of hints in there, a lot of a lot of really, really good stuff. And, and again, the coolest part of it is it's all in one little area. I love free just as much as anybody else. Uh, we're, we're coaches and teachers, just like you guys are. Uh, so, so any chance we can to save money, I'm going to take it, but, uh, it's nice that it doesn't take up my time and I've got to search and dig and, and go through hours worth of compiling different things to try to find everything I want. When there's a course out there, uh, I pay a, pay a course fee and I get to take that course. I can take it on my phone, my tablet, my computer, whatever I want to take it on. I can learn everything I want about that subject in one easy area. Don't have to go searching all through uh, the interwebs, if you will. Uh, so make sure you guys go and check that out. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Team Attack Academy. Team Attack Academy is an online football development site for football players and coaches of all levels. It's the most powerful teaching tool introduced into the game today to raise the level of playing and coaching football. As I've said many times, I use this uh, with my offensive line at Broken Arrow. Coach Walls uses it at Ankeny High School. Uh, it's been awesome for us. We get to get so much information out to the kids and quiz them and uh, put up fronts that we're going to see to go over notes from practices. Uh, it's worked really, really well for us, and it's allowed us to send our kids home and let them work on football on their own time when they do have time off from work and school and, and everything else that they're doing. After using Team Attack Academy, your athletes and coaches will outplay, outwork, and outsmart their opponents, guaranteed. You can go visit them at teamattackacademy.com. And last, but certainly not least, uh, we are powerfully brought to you by Sideline Power. Sideline Power is an industry leader in coaching communication, so they offer cutting-edge technology and innovation. They help coaches around the country elevate their programs to the next level with new and used headsets, end zone cameras, drones, portable sound systems, timers, and much, much more. All right, anything you need on the sidelines uh, that you need as a coach, they can offer you. Sideline Power works one-on-one -on -one with some of the most influential coaches and nationally ranked programs in high school football. They continue to help coaches push the envelope of player and program development. From NFL-level coaching communication to cutting-edge video technology, Sideline Power encompasses a full array of products needed to unleash the full potential of any program. Throughout the expansion of their product offering, Sideline Power has remained committed to offering quality coaching communication at price points for every program. All right, they they want to make sure you guys can afford this. They're going to work with you. The coolest part about them, family-owned and operated with a customer-first mentality. They care about your season. They, they care about your program. Sideline Power is truly the number one choice for coaching communication. You can visit them at sidelinepower.com 
Email them at info at sidelinepower.com or give them a call at 800-496-4290. And that is going to do it for the reads. On this episode of the podcast, we talk with Texas's own Cody Alexander. Coach Alexander is currently the defensive secondary coach at Midlothian High School in Midlothian, Texas. Coach Alexander is also the creator of MatchQuarters.com and author of Cautious Aggression, Defending Modern Football. Listen as we talk with Coach Alexander about his coaching journey from Missouri to Texas, lessons for all coaches in setting up drills and practices to maximize the reps for defensive backs, and an in-depth conversation about his lessons learned from Art Bryles and Phil Bennett during his GA days at Baylor University. You can follow Coach Alexander on Twitter at the underscore coach underscore A. Hope you guys enjoy. Coach, uh, we'll just let you introduce yourself and, and kind of uh, the steps that you've gone through to now be uh, coaching uh, down in Texas. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm Cody Alexander. Uh, I run a website called matchquarters.com. Uh, I'm a was a defensive graduate assistant under Art Bryles and Phil Bennett at Baylor. Uh, once I got done there, I, I went, came down to uh, Texas, to, or I was already in Texas and, and coached at a uh, a 6A school with a Divas coordinator there and then moved to Lovejoy and now on to uh, Midlothian, which is South Dallas. All right. So, um, you know, obviously I'm sure learned a, a bunch at Baylor. So um, kind of take us through, you know, what, what was it like being a graduate assistant at, at a place like Baylor, a place where, um, you know, it seems like my whole life growing up, Baylor was, and I don't know, I'd kind of like to know when you got, got there because my whole life Baylor oh, okay. was yeah. – the laughing stock basically of uh of of the big 12 for for a long time and then um it was like it seemed like when i got into college which was in 10 um baylor kind of took off obviously under bryles bryles was at houston uh before i got there but um now you know bryles went to baylor and baylor kind of took off there for for a while yeah i got really lucky i got there the year that rg3 won his heisman and kind of everything got turned around in that program really kind of the bryles offense that everybody thinks about i got to see kind of the baby steps towards that and 2013 is really when it kind of rocketed off and we were scoring 70 points on everybody in fact that year i think i was i came down every home game i actually finished the game on the field i mean that's like something you do in high school you come out of the box that's right uh so, I mean, it was awesome. I, I'll never forget. I'm from, I'm from Liberty, Missouri, which is in Kansas City, and they actually showed us on TV walking like, when we were against Kansas. We are walking down from the box, and they were like, oh, here's the Baylor coaches walking down, and a lot of my <laughs> friends got to see that and stuff. So, it was pretty cool, but I did get to, you know, I got there in, 20, in the summer of 2011. Um, I had played small school ball in Oklahoma at Southern Nazarene University and I just never had the opportunity to coach college and I wanted to and I really felt like that's kind of what my calling was and I wanted to do it I didn't have any connections and so I just kind of figured out okay what's the easiest way to rig the system to where it helps me and that I can get in I can get my foot in the door um, and just on random luck my uh, sister-in-law was going to Baylor at the time and Art Bryles if any if anybody knows Art Bryles people know he's very close to the vest he doesn't have a lot of extra people on staff in fact 
I mean, we had, I had no support as a GA. There were, I had an intern, I think was the most that I ever had was one intern and then another GA and he didn't have anybody extra. We only had one quality control on each side. Um, and so I figured I'll just go ahead and enroll in school and that way they can't turn me down and I'll just show up every day huh. at the football office if they don't let me in. Luckily that didn't, that didn't happen. Uh, Colin Schillinglaw, um, who was the DFO director of football operations at the time. He said, listen, you can help me out. I need an extra hand anyway. Uh, and if uh, Phil Bennett will let you sit in meetings, you can, he goes, but stay away from the offense. You have to be family. And again, that's another browser. If you're not family, you're not on the offensive side of the ball. And so luckily Phil Bennett is a great man. And he, he kind of took me under his wing. And then, then the next three years of history, I was a GA, I was a GA at Baylor and I was running our uh, recruiting and um, opponent scout and basically getting to do uh, what I love to do and what I kind of plan to do. So it was a lot of fun. I've got to imagine, and, and you know, I hear a lot of the stories, even the guy that are the guys that are, you know, off the Bryles tree tree, they all seem to be pretty close to the vest. Um, you know, even knowing some of the coaches, they still won't won't uh, let you in quarterbacks meetings. They might open everything else up, but uh, it's pretty difficult to get in to even hear quarterbacks meeting. But I'd have to think that the cool part about at least being on that staff as a part of a defense is kind of seeing that new wave of offense that all these other defense coordinators are going to have to get ready for, where you guys are are practicing for it all spring. Yeah, it was it was amazing. I mean, when we got there, you know, I didn't get to go through the spring, uh, but to hear them, to hear Coach Bennett talk about the spring and how basically Bryles was going to run tempo whether you were re- ready or not. Uh, Bennett always talks about the first practice he ever had in the spring. He's over there chewing out a safety that just blew a coverage, and while he's chewing out the safety, the ball is already thrown over his head for the second play, and they had a, and then and they scored another touchdown. And he he just kind of looked at. He kind of looked at Coach Browse and Coach Browse just shrugged his shoulder, shrugged his shoulders, and and that was kind of that's when he kind of knew, okay, well we're just gonna have to coach on the fly and coach from, from tape. So it was pretty. Uh, I always tell people, unless you've actually seen it, you've never really seen it. People talked about uh, Kelly being really fast at Oregon. Well, we had the linebacker coach uh, one time from Oregon come and visit us in the spring, and he even went away and was like, "There's nothing that even compares to the uh, how fast you guys are going at practice." So it was nice for the kids, especially in the Big 12. When we got in the game, man, it was like a regular game. It was just pedestrian. How did you guys practice then? Did you guys go multiple groups and things like that, or was it always just kind of uh, one group versus one group? You know, maybe maybe break it up. How did you guys do it in the spring? How did you guys do it in the fall? Because a lot of our guys ask about, you know, how do, how do tempo teams practice? So that's a, a big topic amongst a lot of our listeners. Right. So people are always amazed. I tell them in fall camp and in spring, we only had about 12 minutes of Indy. Everything else was team oriented. Um, and so Bryles was really big on everything has to be run on the team. I think the only time we had really individual one-on-one with the, with the wide receivers was during fall camp because you just have that extra time because you're not working on, you're not working on your opponent yet. And so we really went from doing seven on seven ones versus twos, twos versus ones, but really it was fluid because they just ran their ones were their twos and their twos were their ones. They had about 10 receivers and they just ran them. And if you ran more than about 10 yards, you went off to the sideline and the next group went up 
And really the thing about that, and I've heard Kelly talk about it when he was at Oregon and, and, and Bryles t- kind of talk about it, is that it doesn't matter who you're throwing to. You don't get that favorite receiver that everybody kind of rolls through. And so everybody learns the, the offense. And so it's kind of a plug and play. Now, obviously, you're going to get your guys their shots and you're going to put them where they need to be. But you don't have that kind of where, no, only you are getting all the reps. Everybody got the reps. The only people that didn't move was the offensive line and the running back and a quarterback. Everybody else, the receiver-wise, just rolled through. I mean, it's an unfair at practice because you're throwing a 30-yard bomb. That's if, right. And then the receiver – right. The cor- people forget, the corner has to run back. We're not rotating. Yeah. You know, most defensive coaches will tell you they don't sub. They sub packages, but they don't sub individuals. You play with the 11 guys that you have on. The only people you're subbing are your D linemen. Uh, and so we would have to run in D linemen uh, while they were lining up. You know, the offensive line is already set up, ready to go. And, and so, it, you know, you have to practice like that. It's a mentality. It's something that you have to do. And you have to have buy-in as well on the defensive side that they are just going to – you're going to be put at an unfair advantage, but your kids, when they get into a game, it's going to be so slow for them. Well, that's what I was going to say. It seemed like that was when the defensive coaches and players got the maddest is there'd be whatever, a 30-yard, you know, four verticals or whatever it was. And then, um, like you said, after the receivers go, if they're running longer than a 10-yard route, they're all uh, bumping out. they got a new receiver in, but now the corners have got to run 30 yards back just to get started, and now the ball's already snapped. That seemed to – to be the maddest that they would get in practice. You know, and, and to really look at looking at it, it, it sucks if you're not used to it. But once you get used to it, I mean, you start thinking about it and you're like, well, everybody's running to the ball. You're running back. You really don't have time to be lazy. So you, be, you actually get really good conditioning habits. You don't have kids standing around or watching the ball or, you know, trotting back to the line or walking back to the line or people standing there having conversations in the middle field. I mean, you're getting back to the ball. You're getting lined up. You're getting your calls. And so there's there's a built-in sense of urgency, and I think it's something that's overlooked by a lot of anti-tempo people and a lot of defensive guys that uh, are afraid of tempo or, or just don't understand it or don't see the positives in it. I mean, you're, whoever's calling your defense is going to have to – think really really fast and so it helps refine not only your scheme on defense but it gets the players to see the game in the formation so much quicker they're analyzing so much data faster visual data that they're getting in faster that you don't get that when you have a traditional huddle team they're standing around they're waiting you know they can kind of identify they kind of can get in no I mean you when you play a tempo team, especially in the Big 12, you have to get down and you have to get ready and you have to be ready to play. And I think it really streamlines a lot of the process uh, for you defensively. That's what I was going to say is like, I would imagine pretty much if you're going to call against that, right, I'm sure coach had to come up with the simplest system possible. He had to have, you know, his automatic checks versus two by two, three by one. And he had to have all that stuff built in because it's difficult to, you know, obviously look to the sideline and get a call unless you have, you know, an incomplete pass or something like that. And it is an actual wow. team segment where they, where they are stopping the ball and they're not letting Coach Bryles, you know, place it on whatever hash he wants. But, you know, I, I think as a, as a play caller, it, like you said, it, it really forces you to think about, okay, I need to simplify and I got to have a really, really concise language and communication system for these kids, especially in the back end. Yeah, and really, I mean, we, 
people are always amazed when they ask, because I always get asked, what was your call sheet like at, like at Baylor um, for defense? And I was like, dude, we had like five, six calls. And they're all B, but they're all, they're all to formation. So it's either a blitz or pressure or BTS to formation, or it's a line movement to the formation. And it's all predicated on what the tendency is on the offense. And it all has checks and rules. Uh, so instead of calling a field blitz, well, what if they come out and it's not what we want because it's tempo and we don't know, you know, you're just calling it to call it. Instead, you call, okay, whatever your pressure is, whatever, you, whether it's a single dog or a, a six-man or a seven-man pressure, you're calling it. They come out in their formation, and then it's an automatic check where you're going based on the rules that you have. I mean, which is most people know of B, that know BTS know that that's how it functions, is that you have a set of rules that you line up to the formation and you blitz to that formation or pressure that formation. And so it really makes everything come down to really just one more thing. I'll never forget Gary Patterson, and I can't remember if it was 12 or 13. I mean, there's a picture on film of our, the ball is already in Bryce Petty's hand and the whole D TCU defense is staring at the sideline. And we've already snapped the ball. Because if, if anybody knows of old Gary Patterson defense, I mean, it's, it's like sentences. Like, it's whole sentences for everybody. And everybody has their own wristband and stuff. I mean, he's had to even change the way that he calls defense. So it's just when you go against that tempo, it really makes you streamline everything. It's not that we have less. We just have a, a better or more efficient language for it. Well, Walls, didn't you say when you were at Tulsa and, and some of the times when you guys were playing tempo teams uh, that they even had like a menu or a script that the, the defensive coordinator would be going off of against some of the uh, up-tempo guys? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, was, I, I, wasn't at, I wasn't at Tulsa. I mean, I know the guys at Tulsa, but I know, I know for us – that we had certain, we were heavy on certain calls at different times and teams had trouble figuring out what we were because we were, we were going to formation and then we could, ha we could check off of it or bait it or bluff it depending on what we wanted to do. Yeah, that was the, the same kind of deal. Hart, basically you'd, you'd have a blitz call and you'd have a base call. And it was all, like Coach has okay. been saying, it was all, all, all dependent upon the formation. And then obviously you'd have some of your autos. I mean, if you're going to run a cover zero blitz, you know, it didn't matter what they came in, out in. We were going to, you know, check to zero. Okay, so, so it's similar to what Coach is talking about. Yeah, very, very similar. But, I mean, at the same time, you know, he could, he could change it up. He would have a menu maybe for the drive. Okay, here, here's what our two-by-two two check's going to be. Here's what our three-by-one check's going to be. And then you'd be able to maybe switch that the next drive. All right, hey, here's, here's base check. Here's our other base check. So they're able to change it up that way. It was pretty cool. And see, we had it even more simple. I mean, we had four, we really had five calls. You know, you have your base call, you have a line movement call, you have a five-man pressure, and then you have your all-out blitz pressure, and then you have a special blitz just for that week that you either came up with or that we like, or hey, we like this, maybe it's a cross dog, maybe it's a plug, uh, maybe it's a blitz that we came up for that week. And so that was kind of, that was our menu. And so no matter what you called one through five, whatever they lined up in, you knew, you knew what you were going to get because it was going to be lined up and it was going to be correct to that formation and how we set it up that week. I'm trying to think back, uh, you know, big 12 at that time, you know, for a while it was 
the the up tempo offense was kind of new, and then it seems like everybody went into it. Um, so kind of curious, and I don't know if you if there was any in the Big Twelve, but were there any at the time that were were still huddle up, getting twenty one, twenty two personnel? And if there were, uh, how were those weak for you guys to to get ready for after you know getting ready for the Texas Techs and and against your own defense and they're against your own offense and then now switch gears and you got to play only a week's notice you got to play a uh, um, a 21 22 personnel huddle team well when when Harson was at Texas they would slow it way down to try and do a lot of tight end stuff um, K State doesn't huddle but they're a huge check with me and a stall team they just stall and stall and stall uh, we got them though because we would check and then they would check and then we'd check and then they would check. And so we got into this cat and mouse and they would start. In fact, when they were the number one team in the nation, we beat them in 2012 and we beat them because we kept checking in and out and they just, they, they kept trying to play the cat and mouse and they ran out of time. They would run out of time or they would snap the ball and Colin Klein would be hurried because he's trying to snap it and he gets the ball, maybe the center miss snapped it. And so, you know, those were the two teams at that point in time. Oklahoma slowed it down there before Heupel, before Heupel uh, left for Mizzou. Um, but when you got to that week, for me, you're, I'm only breaking down 70 plays. I mean, I, I could get my stuff done early. And I could enjoy the week. I could sit in meetings and, and just kind of relax. Whereas, you know, I, that's still back when uh, Landry Jones in 2011, they were running 100 plays a game. I broke down 1,000 plays one time for Jeez. Oklahoma in 2011. Uh, and, and he wanted all their games. I think it was nine. I think it was nine, nine games. And I think it was uh, over 1,000 plays. It's the only time I've ever done over 1,000 plays. And I, and I was breaking it down all by myself. So it was crazy. And I'd do it in a week. Yeah, it was insane. To me, that was always the fun part, though, because honestly, when you do that stuff, you became the expert on what they do. And that's why I always loved right. it. You know, and it was funny because, again, you know, people, you're, you're the GA, you know, you're just, oh, you're just the GA. You know, they always kind of look at the title, but it was like, dude, I've watched six times more film than you have, you know, and right. that's what you're able to, to tell me. I don't want to sit there and tell me, you know, what to do, but it's like, if I'm giving you information, trust me, I'm not trying to trick you. I'm not trying to show you up. I, I want you to use this stuff. You know, and some guys were, were good about acknowledging that and other guys would kind of just throw it by the wayside and it's like, ah, you know, I'm going to do my own breakdown. All right, cool. Go for it. <laughs> you know? We had, you know, I was really blessed. I, uh, Casey Horney, who's now at Texas, he kind of just started feeding me stuff during the summer and then eventually, pro probably about halfway through 2011, I was doing all of it all by myself. Uh, and so I had a lot of responsibility. I mean, I did our whole entire opponent breakdown from the hit chart all the way through the cutups, all the way through kind of what we were calling things, how we were breaking it down. And so, you know, me and Bennett got really close in a lot of those meetings where it was just me and him sitting and me just giving him, like you said, I've watched it so many times. I kind of have an idea of what they're doing and, and, you know, I've got the hit chart and, and talking to him about it. And it's kind of, I always go back to kind of for those young coaches that maybe they, they kind of want that role, but they've got a role like being a GA, whether it's at a high school staff or that is just, just remember the one who cuts the path leads the way. And you as a GA and as a young coach, a lot of times you're cutting that path for that DC or that head coach to see what the other team is doing. 
And if you just remember that, it kind of keeps you humble and kind of keeps you hungry and, and kind of keeps your ego in check when you're sitting there. And that's kind of something big that, you know, that I took as I got older was like, you know what, I had a great opportunity. I basically kind of, like you said, you led the way to kind of what we were going to do and what in your own kind of way was able to manipulate kind of the scheme. And a lot of people don't see that in the GA. Yeah, I, I loved it just because, you know, I mean, I think we broke down and, and again, it was, it was just me and, and Bigelow was the other guy at Tulsa. I think we counted it up. It was like 120 games, 130 games. And it, and it was stuff, you know, obviously we had to use at Tulsa, but there's a lot of games that we got on the side. And once we got really efficient at breaking down games, that's when we could go watch um, plays that, that are, are offenses that we really wanted to study anyway. You know, a lot of it was Baylor film. So we'd be able to kind of go back. We'd, we'd just kind of start building our own cut up. So it'd be the walls and Bigelow cut up, you know, and that was the right. stuff you could always go back and, and study right there. And, it, you know, he'd ask questions. I'd ask questions. We'd kind of talk about how, how we'd call it, how we wouldn't call it, what we like it against. And I mean, again, you said it as a young coach, that's your opportunity to learn, you know, and if you're just sitting there griping about how much work you got to do, you're, you're kind of missing the point. You know, it's, that, that is why you're in that spot. You, you need to learn, right? Right. Well, Coach, I'm kind of uh, curious. I always am when, when you're, you know, you spend all day, every day, it seems like as a GA from everything I've heard from everyone we've had on and, and you got a little bit of class, but mostly it's, it's football all day. Uh, and then you decide to go ahead, uh, go down to the uh, high school level to be a coach. Right now, maybe you don't have, you don't have nearly as much time because you're in the classroom, you're doing, you're doing other things. And now football, the time that you have to study football shrinks down. So what were some of the challenges and what were some of the things that you, you noticed as, as a big difference going from, you know, maybe even from having college athletes to now having high school athletes that, that coaches don't recruit, you just kind of have what you have. Yeah. You know, you really got to become a good teacher. I think that's, that's kind of the biggest thing, you know, at, at the highest level, most of those kids, they're so athletically gifted that in, and it's just ingrained in them. Hey, I show them this step or I show them how to do this technique and then they just kind of pick it up and if they don't they kind of get left behind and so it's it's kind of at the high school level you you get what you get and you really have to kind of manipulate and find different ways to teach that at the college level you just don't have to worry about I think too the quality of film um, the time that you have to kind of get in get into it like you said at the high school level I mean I'm teaching four classes you know, and I've got to find time during that day to not only plan for that, but then I have to also watch film and kind of plan for practice. And what am I going to do today? And, you know, and so do you just have more on your plate? You know, you do about 10, 12, 14 plus hours a day of football, and that's all you're doing. And you just don't think about it as a job and you don't get tired. And, you know, when you go to go to teach you get tired and you got to kind of fight the fatigue of of kind of dealing with kids on a daily basis that aren't yours uh and then when you got to go to practice you got to have that enthusiasm things like that that's just kind of not something that you necessarily have to worry about as a GA because you're kind of there all the time and that grind and and you're so young and you're stuck in a dark room and there's no clock you don't really know what time it is uh so you know, I was blessed. I didn't have to stay. You know, I hear those horror stories of those GAs. Man, I was home by eight thirty, nine o'clock every day. So I mean, I and and I couldn't tell you that we. I I never one week said we weren't prepared or that we could have watched. We could have watched more film. I don't know how people work the sixteen, seventeen hour days and not sleep. Because I mean, then it is meticulous. 
meticulous, and but not only about the breakdown, but just about watching film and the cutups and the process and and how how to go about it. You know, I mean, and still for me to be able to be home at eight thirty with my wife, and then I did have a kid when I was a GA, which is a big contributing factor of why I'm da- I'm why I'm back at the high school level. So it just you know your time is just different, and you got to kind of squeeze it in where in college you don't have to do that. Well, that's you know kind of going off of the film like you were talking about something that I've always kind of thought with offense and it was even when I was playing and I kind of get shunned for it so I don't say it very loudly but I've never really understood too much why a player has to watch a bunch of film on another team I mean you know get the little bit of basics down but I've always kind of thought that was the coach's job is hey coach looks at the other team we'll get you ready in, in practice as far as their favorite blitzes their their looks and what they're going to do to tip their certain blitzes or certain defensive looks. Your guys' job is to watch yourself get better yourself. But, you know, that's kind of on the offensive side. I'm kind of curious, how much of the film do you like for your guys to watch in high school of, you know, an opposing team's offense as opposed to, hey, just get them out on the field, get them some more turf time of showing them different different, um, offensive sets and motions and shifts? Well, as a secondary coach, I'm more I'm more worried about just identifying formation. And I think even at the college level when we were at Baylor, I mean, Bennett is such a big guy on formation and identifying formation and kind of understanding what you're going to get out of that formation. Not necessarily being able to call out the play because, you know, you've watched it so much on film. Um, but I do want my kids to watch route concepts. I usually make a one-hit tape of all the top route concepts and it's usually about 10 or 12 clips usually take the kids maybe about 10 15 minutes to watch on their own uh just so that they see where routes break off I think that's kind of as it where I've grown as a coach and coming you know as I've gotten older of really teaching kids where routes are going to break off because most offenses are pretty much the same when it comes to routes Yes, you're going to have some bastard routes and some different offenses, but slants are usually run the same way. Hitches are usually run the same way. A stick route is usually right around 10 yards. Um, And I always preach to my kids, read departure speed, read kind of, you know, never go on the first cut because the first cut, they're always going the opposite way. And that's more where I focus at the high school level of kind of giving them tips and tricks to kind of defeat routes and kind of identify routes whereas at the college level you have a little bit more time for film but you're right I mean I always tell my corners you're factory workers you're told what to do and you're either you're in most of the time 90% of the time you're playing man so you're you just that is what you are you know it's the safety that kind of have to think and identify formation and at the end of the day they're identifying a formation and getting into coverage and not necessarily worried about how much film that they watch. So, I mean, I'm kind of with you on that. I don't think you have to beat the film into them. Most of these kids don't want to watch film anyway. So. That's, that's kind of what I've <laughs> noticed. They don't, they don't want to watch, but they'll watch themselves, you know, and, and that's what I've always thought, right. you know. I've had a coach be like, well, you got to know when they're going to slant, and then I'll, I'll be like, yeah, but you've taught us this technique, so if my technique's perfect, doesn't that protect against the slant? He's like, yeah, well, I was like, well, why would I even guess? Why not just go out there do my technique and – if he slants this technique, you know, takes care of it, which is to me really similar to, um, and this is not knowing anything about it, but, you know, offensive line I've always thought is, is fairly similar to corner just as far as kind of on an island. Everyone knows when you screw up, um, you can be really good for 85 of 86 plays, but 
if you give up, you know, as an offensive lineman, that one sack on the 86 play for 12 games, they give up 12 sacks a year. And, and it doesn't seem like that'd be bad, but it is. It's kind of the same thing. Right. Yeah, I definitely, you know, I, I like my kids watching themselves. I think Huddle does a great job and is a good tool. I usually try and keep the clips. I mean, obviously, you know, as a coach, you can make a comment on every single play. I usually right. try and use, you know, people ask me how I grade film. You know, I do a simple plus minus because you either win the play or you don't. And a lot of times at corner, you're not involved in the play. You're kind of that extra guy, especially away from it. So I'm not necessarily going to sit there and, you know, beat a dead horse on the backside corner. Now I am going to make sure that he's hustling his ass over there if, if, if he doesn't get – if, if it, the play breaks – but other than that, I'm not going to sit there and nitpick. But you're right. They will watch themselves. And so I really try and utilize practice tape as a technique learning tool of, remember, we talked about this. And then this is why I've told you not to do this and show them kind of, hey, look where you, the direction of your hips are. Look where, the, where you messed up here, fault step here. You know, so they see it. Because like you said, they're interested, especially this generation, they're interested in watching themselves. You know, everybody's a highlight guru guy. And so it's kind of like if you can kind of make a mini highlight and low light tape from practice and kind of show, hey, this is what you did good and this is what you need to work on and then come back again and say, hey, this is what you did good. You know, I think you can kind of use the sandwich model in your film and just kind of give them about 10, 15 clips to watch from practice that, hey, these are the things we can work on. And because they'll watch that, they'll, I mean, they'll, they'll watch that for 10 10 minutes tops and then and then you're probably going to lose their focus yeah I completely agree and that that kind of leads me into you know I, I know we're not watching a lot of, of other teams but I still think you know you need to teach your kids the the rules of defense you know if it, if a linebacker's you know plussed over the top of a three technique hey there's a good chance that the three techniques coming under you know uh, alignments in the secondary can give away uh, coverages. What, what's some of the stuff you're doing, Coach, right now? And you said you guys are kind of going through football school uh, down there in Texas. Obviously, it's it's during the, the track season. But what are some of the the, the big rules, the, the big things that you're teaching your kids, maybe drills? Um, what are some of the things you're doing with some of your DBs and, and uh, defensive kids? Well, I got our daily must. We start every day. First, about five minutes, we do a daily must. Um, and I got them from Bennett, and I think they're great. It's every – and really, and I've told the kids multiple times, everything we do in these drills, and there's about eight drills, and they're really quick. You go down to the next – to the hash, then the safeties coach sends them back to me, and then we move to the next drill. And and I got them from Bennett, and it's every function that you will do as a corner, whether it's a tight weave where you got to push – you think that you're going outside, but then you go back inside and you're kind of down the line. Uh, to a right pole and a left pole to be able to turn your hips, throw the elbow, and go and turn on the line and stay on a straight line. You know, pedal and weaving and keeping your your hips and shoulders square, but being able to transition off the line but keeping everything square. I mean, you would be surprised. Most kids want to click their heels and play basketball when they do that. They don't understand the concept of just, basically backpedaling at an angle while keeping your shoulders and your hips square. And so I, I really try and work on a lot of just the technical things, especially in football school. But in terms of alignment and breeding, you know, I'm really big on split rules. You know, do you have a reduced single receiver? If I have a reduced single receiver, 
Then we go back to film. Do they run an out route to the boundary? There are a few teams that will do it. I don't, I personally think it's dumb, but there are, there are guys that will run an out route into the boundary. Um, they, you know, so, or otherwise he's going on a drag, you know, split rules where I don't like my corners outside the numbers. I'm coming from Baylor. I saw it. There's no reason why a corner should have his heels on the sideline. You're not even, you're, you're basically not even in the play. Um, so, you know, go ahead and stay inside. If he runs a fade route, you still have, you still have the angle on him, uh, you know, or he's probably coming back inside. So those are the little tricks that in, in departure speed. You know, most high school receivers aren't good enough to run hard every single time, even when they're running a, a seven-yard hitch. And so you can kind of get that. That The eye discipline part is what's real big for me. So when you say, like, football school, how, how does that work for you, Coach? You guys have, like, is it one of your hours, or, or what is that looking like? Because I know there's obviously different right. rules for different states. Um, so how does that work in Texas? And then, and then you know, obviously, when are you guys doing that? Is it a class period, or, or is it – is it any yeah. paper and pencil or is it all out on the field? We are lucky. We have an advisory period, which is like a, oh, a 35 minute study hall every day. And so we tell the kids, if you don't have to go, cause we do grade checks in Texas. So every six weeks they have to be passing in order to play. Um, so every, you know, we kind of are constantly monitoring the kids grades. So unless they have to make up a test or, they have an assignment that they miss and they need help on homework. They're going to their advise. They're going to that class for advisory. If they're not, if they don't have a class and they're getting all A's and B's, you know, we, we expect them to at least just come check in. We may watch them. We may just talk about life. We may go over a new scheme we're covering. And so we kind of try and use that classroom time uh, so that when we get to the athletic period in the state of Texas, you are allowed to do your sport during the athletic period. Now, you can't do, I think the rules are like you can't use pads and you can't use helmets and shoulder pads and you can't use like um, tackling dummies and things like that. But you can do pretty much in just shorts and T-shirts and you can do anything with a ball. Hmm. So we basically run through, we run through an hour long practice. We just don't, a lot of it's seven on seven. Uh, our individual drills going over coverages so when we get to spring and we get our 15 practices we're really just kind of going over things and we can really focus on the scheme part of it and not necessarily the learning part of it so you kind of get ahead and most schools in texas are doing what's called a football school um several times during the week and then they'll, they'll get their lifting through powerlifting because most most schools in texas have a powerlifting team and pretty much everybody on football is in powerlifting and so you kind of get your lifting time there as well i i love that it seems like texas always has some way to kind of skirt a, skirt around the rules it's like they put in some rules and they, they find a way even like a few years ago i know um i think it was like you couldn't work out or something in the summer well all the schools just ended up hiring companies to work their kids out over the summer but I think that's right. you know, some yeah. of that stuff's brilliant because you know you find out what the rules you're going to go by the rules but any way that you can get around the rules you know I think it's Urban Meyer talks a lot a lot about it in his book I could be wrong but I think that's who it was and talks about you've got to know the rules really well that way you can get around the rules legally right yeah like in Texas you have six weeks the kids get six weeks in the summer uh 
to have in lifting. So if you want them lifting every day possible in the summer, most schools will outsource their lifting um, to a lift to kind of a, a program. The big one down here in the DFW area is performance course. And so they'll come around and, and a lot, they're all certified. I mean, it's, it's good stuff for the most part. I mean, the, the, the catch 22 with that is that you are not around your kids all the time because you, you're not the one doing it. But at the same time, it does give you a much needed break that most high school coaches in other states, like my dad's from Missouri. I mean, they're working every day in the weight room and right. they don't get paid and they're not getting paid for it. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, for him, he's just like the, the, uh, the cot, like his, you know, the men, the mean sometimes don't measure up to the end of just, Hey, I'm working basically every day during the summer. I'm not getting paid. Yes. I love football, but at the same time, I'd like to have one, a break. So it's kind of a nice deal with that where you can kind of come up and show up and see your kids and, but you don't necessarily have to be running the workout. But, yeah, that's another way to get around that rule, that six-week rule. Coach, what's your favorite uh, drills as far as, I, I should say, like either group or team? I mean, are you a seven-on-seven guy, being a secondary guy? Uh, I know I've been up to, to Nebraska, and they actually break it up into kind of half fields, so they're doing two-man combos versus uh, three guys, so they call it three over two and four over three for their uh, their trip zone stuff um is there any special drills that you guys like to do or you just a seven on seven dude uh what are some things you like to do kind of as a secondary guy yeah i actually was going to say half line i call it half line um i think it's a really big teaching tool i don't necessarily use it real that much during the season but it is a big part of what we do Uh, i know we implemented it last year it helped us out we actually had two freshmen and a sophomore uh, in our secondary last year. And then we kind of had a revolving door at one of the safeties. And so it helped our younger guys, especially the linebackers at the high school level, a lot of linebacker coaches, they just focus on stopping a run and you don't really get that pass distribution piece. They don't feel comfortable. They don't necessarily know what to do unless you're playing man. And I got a guy. Uh, so the half line piece really kind of breaks it down. They don't have to worry about is somebody coming from the other side or kind of I'm lost in space, you can kind of put your your guys into the boundary that are in the boundary and then your guys to the field. Most of the game is played on a hash. And so you pick a one, you know, Monday you go on the left hash, Tuesday you go on the right hash, you know, and then Friday, you know, left, right, and then Friday you play seven off seven. Uh, so I think that's kind of like I use that so much as a teaching tool, not just for my defensive backs, but for the linebackers to really kind of get their eyes right. Because sometimes when you do seven on seven, there's so much there's so much going on, even just on the other side. And if you just throw a kid into it like that, uh, they sometimes don't necessarily hear or see everything because it's kind of all at once. But if you kind of break it down into halves and compartmentalize it, a lot of times those kids they it, it comes to them a lot faster. So half line to me outside of the daily must that I do every day, just for hips and footwork, that that's really crucial just for the overall defensive structure. And I don't think, you know, some of the young guys like me understand just how much of the game is played on a hash. You know, I remember uh, one year defense, obviously complaining a lot because we had some uh, guys, they went up against seven on seven that would just put it in the middle of the, the field the whole time they're complaining. And so I was talking to coach walls and I was like, why are they all complaining? He's like, well, they're putting it in the middle, and that almost, you know, very seldomly happens. I'm like, really? He said, yeah, go break down these five games and, and tell me how many are on a hash and how many are in the middle. And it was something like 
75, 80, 85%. Yeah. They were on one of the hashes or the other. Very rarely were they in the middle of the field. Yeah. And I mean, that, that to me is such a big part. Uh, I know we try and not put anything in the middle of the field just because it's very rare. Um, I know you have to plan for it. Uh, everybody always asks me, well, what are you going to do when they go two by two pistol? How are you going to set the front? Well, okay. Uh, you're talking that that might happen maybe once or twice in the entire year. So just pick a side, you know, and that's what I've always told people. Just pick a side. It doesn't really matter because <laughs> it's great. pistol. So they can just, if it's two by two pistol, they're going to find the B gap and they're going to do it. So just find it and just find a way to change the B gap. Um, so I, we try at, at Midlothian where I'm at now, we, we pretty much put everything on the hash. I did work for a guy though one year where everything was in the middle of the field. And I just, and I think that's kind of an old school deal. Uh, I know definitely for, for seven on seven, everybody likes to put it in the middle of the field because everybody's got equal distribution. That kind of stresses the defense a little bit more. Uh, but you're right. I mean, it gets, we play a field and boundary. Uh, we did it at Baylor. Um, I'm a big believer in it. You always have one corner that's better than the other. Uh, you always have one safety that can usually come down and hit that's better than the other. And so you kind of have a, you can kind of help those guys out by putting them either to the field and to the boundary. And so, you know, that to me helps the kids out as well. Unless you got two studs, you just can go left and right. But for the most part, everybody's got a one and a, and a two. And so you kind of are able to, to help those guys out by also going field and boundary. That's funny you say that. We, we had a, when we were at Houston, apparently, you know, I was offensive line, so I don't know anything about corners. But they said we had a corner that was a lockdown, real deal corner, but not very smart. And so we had a, a bench corner and an away corner. And so that corner would always line up near the coaches so they could tell them exactly what to do and then let them go be an athlete. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, usually what you want is you want your best man guy into the boundary because that's where you're getting the single receiver side stuff. And you want your zone corner or kind of your slower corner to the field because you're talking about a grown man throw from the boundary all the way to the opposite sideline. And so there's probably one quarterback a year you might see that can make that throw. And so you can kind of hide that guy. Uh, and then you always want your safety. I always tell people you want your best tackling safety to the boundary because in three by one, he's essentially your will linebacker. And so you need him to be able to come from 10 yards down and run the alley and, and make a play. Whereas traditionally in football, you always put your strong safety to the strength. Uh, but he may not be your best cover guy. So, like, for instance, we've got a kid that is an unbelievable center field safety and he will always be to the field just because he's always going to be in space because he can play in space hmm. and so I think it just when you go field and boundary one it helps kids line up and two it helps them be successful because you're putting them in situations that that they're more comfortable in do you ever rotate those guys so in case you know obviously a, a guy goes down you can you can maybe shuffle the lineup a little bit or you just kind of leave them leave them be and and go with the, the number two guy in that uh, other spot where a guy goes down. Right. We always tell them, and I've always told my guys, you, the expectation is you know everything. So you're going to get, I would tell, someone's always going to put trips into the boundary. Someone's always going to put twins into the boundary. You're always going to get a back into the boundary. So you have to be able to, even as your boundary safety and corner, you still have to know what's to the field. 
Uh, and so we can do that by putting formations into the boundary. But I also will, there will be times where, hey, this practice, just line up on the, you line up on the left, you line up on the right, and let's stay, let's stay at it. Uh, either just for, because two, it helps with timing and, and less running around. Um, but, you know, hey, you just go left and you go right. That way they get both. So you do have to make sure that they understand everything because you're right. You don't want your guy to go down and then he doesn't know, or they go trips into the boundary and they don't know your trips check. That'd be bad. Coach, you know, you mentioned being in the DFW area and then obviously Texas high school football. The big thing this off season, it seemed like as far as Twitter came uh, was the, the redistricting and, and uh, you know, we've had obviously redistricts here in Oklahoma, but nowhere as big of a deal as it was in Texas. And I didn't understand it. And then we had a, a really good buddy, Tanner Annell, that's a uh, defense – he's a linebackers coach somewhere in the DFW area, and, and he kind of showed me, you know, if this team were to go here and this team was here, just how much of that stuff uh, it shifted as far as your playoff look. And, and you know, this, this um, bracket is going to play the next bracket no matter what, and so you might be playing uh, some killer team in the first round just because they happen to be the bracket next to yours or, or whatever it was, I can't remember, but um, – I'm sure you guys, you know, you go through the playoffs, and we talked to Coach Nal, who was um, from uh, the Baylor area. Where was he from, Walls? Where's he? He's at, he's, he's at Waco Midway. Waco Midway, and you know, just kind of his story about going through the playoffs. It's in, in the Dallas area, especially. It's like murderers row those first few rounds. Yeah. Well, we actually we went four and six this year, which nobody usually celebrates that, but we played we played in the toughest district probably in the state, uh, all the Mansfield schools, which if anybody knows anything about DFW South I 21 is track town USA, but also it is, I mean, it is a football hotbed, DeSoto, Cedar Hill, Lancaster, man, uh, all the Mansfield schools can play. And so here we are Midlothian. We got seven sophomores and freshmen on defense and we're playing a division one quarterback about every week and two or three division one receivers and running backs every week. And so for us to be successful and we've kind of built that success. And like you said, we were, we are a 1500 person school. So we were actually at the lower end of five a last year. And now that they've broken five a in half, we're now going to be one of the largest in five a small. So you talk about going from murderer's row to now we've actually got a shot at being really, really good. Uh, we felt like we were good, but just because we're so, we, you know, we're playing schools that have 700 more kids than us. Right. And I mean, you know that in Oklahoma and being from Oklahoma, I coached at Deer Creek my first year. So I know about going, playing, being a 700 person school and going and playing a school with 2000 kids. In it. Like, that's crazy to even think about that. Yeah, that's where and you so, know I'm at at Broken Arrow with whatever it is, four thousand some kids from freshman to senior. You know, a ton and right. And for a while, we were playing the teams like Deer Creek until they split six A. But you know, we're playing that team that that has nowhere near that that amount of kids. And so for us now, we can be more competitive. You know, we were gonna we were gonna probably be if we would have stayed in the same, we would have been more competitive next year just because of the youth that we have. But now we can re we feel like we really can be competitive and we can really have a shot at going into the playoffs and making a run and doing something that's kind of never been done in Midlothian. And so that's kind of the kind of where we are with the kids is 
now we have an opportunity to really grow and not necessarily, at, you know, kind of get downtrodden even throughout that growth and trying to always kind of be rah-rah all the time. But you're right. There's people, there's winners and there's losers in the whole deal. You know, I think San Angelo State has to come to DFW like three or four times. And I don't know if you've ever looked at a map of Texas. San Angelo is nowhere even close to <laughs> DFW. And they're no. going to have to drive to DFW like three or four times yeah. uh, to come and play football. And what people forget is that a lot of these, I mean, you're talking about that that not only affects football, but that affects every sport in that school. So a Tuesday night JV basketball game is going to have to be played in DFW. You're going to have to drive there during the day. I mean, so a lot of this stuff, it, people forget how big Texas is and how spread out it is. There's no, when you get to the 6A, there's just not a lot of 6A schools in West Texas, and there's not a lot of schools in East Texas. So where, do you, where are you going to put them? You're gonna have, they're going to have to drive either to San Antonio or to Dallas, especially if it's West Texas. And if it's East Texas, they got to go to Houston or DFW. And so it really kind of puts a bind on it. But, for, but when you split it, like you were talking about, it helps more than it hurts. Because now yeah. we're going to be in the same, we're going to be in the same district with everybody is going to be within a hundred, 200 kids. And that, that's doable. Yeah. That's just insane. I mean, it's watching the, the football playoffs down there to me is just like watching the NCAA basketball tournament <laughs> and some of the matchups you used to get, like, like Harper said in the first and second round, you're like, Oh my God, you know, Allen gets to the, to the state finals and they had to beat like four nationally ranked teams <laughs> just to get to the finals. Right. I mean, it's nuts. And because, and that's DFW. I mean, that that's just how it is. I mean, it's 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 insane. It's only in kind of the lower classes where you can kind of catch a break, maybe in the first or second round. Um, but when in six A, there really is no break. It's if five A, five A and down, you can kind of catch a break. But but in six A DFW, there is no break. You're you're playing. That's what I want, I want to say. Like two years ago, and we played. We've played both of these teams in the last couple of years. But um, I think it was like South Lake Carroll versus Trinity, like first round. And we were just saying, "Oh my gosh, could you imagine?" Then if you win that, you got whatever four or five more rounds after that. It just seems unbelievable. Yeah, and then at some point you're gonna to have to, like you said, the midway. You're gonna to have to play midway, which if you know anything about Central Texas, midway is unbelievable, and they usually get pushed up to Dallas. Um, in their region. So you're, you're looking at basically juggernaut after juggernaut after juggernaut. And then right. in the end, you're going to have to probably play Lake Travis or one, or, you know, the Woodlands was a couple of years ago or a Houston team. Yep. I mean, so it's like, you're right. I mean, it's my, my, one of my best friends is he's the defensive coordinator at Plano. And I mean, they, they had a, I think they pulled like Trinity in the first round. And I mean, it's just, <laughs> It, like you said, it is what it is, and you kind of just have to kind of live with it. And, and you just know by the time you get to the final that there probably is not going to – I mean, you you played pretty much the best of the best, and your kids are hardened and they're prepared. And they're ready that's, when they get to college too because that's all you hear them talk about when, when they get up to college and they're playing college football. I, I, can't, I can't tell you how many kids I had that were like, oh, yeah, our high school workouts were way tougher or, or our, uh, our, high school game, our high school practices were so much harder than here. College is almost easy for them. It, it's pretty funny how many of them there were that said that, especially the East Texas. Well, it's just, well yeah, and what's funny, you know, 
when you when you live in the DFW area, especially like you, you kind of understand that a lot of people are coming down here for basically a four year junior college player. I mean, that's that's essentially what they they feel like they're getting. I mean, they feel like they're getting a kid that's going to come in. They understand football. They play on the same hashes as the NCAA. And so they're getting like a four-year junior college player. And if they can develop them even more, then that's even better for them. Uh, you know, it's kind of the Houston, the East Texas area that you really kind of see where they kind of go in and they're like, okay, we know we're going to have to develop this kid. We know we're going to have to put weight on the kid. Uh, but here in Dallas, a lot of times these kids, you know, they're expecting these Dallas kids to play now. You know, I think sure. one of the, the – the biggest ones for me, when I was at Lovejoy, Aaron Fuller, who's now uh, one of the the starting, he was he's been a starting receiver at Washington for the past two years. I mean, to me, I'm like, oh, you know, I don't know, he might have a shot to start in one of their packages. And then I see him, and he's playing almost. I mean, he's playing in a, a ton of packages. He's getting about, you know, about 25, 30 plays a game. And they were like, I mean, schools up north. I mean, they're just, I, you know, I talked to the receivers coach at Illinois one time, and he was like, look man, I just need speed and Texas has it. And I just need kids. Cause I know they've already been in a weight room. I don't have to teach them how to lift weights. I can put them in the weight room and, and they can run fast. And so I think for a lot of people up North, they just come to Texas cause they, they know the kid is going to play early and they, they, they can get that kid in there and they know they got them for at least four years. Well, you mentioned that, that, you know, you're, it's kind of track season right now. And then obviously, you know, you got the Texas relays and, and how big track is in Texas. Is that, and me and me and Walls have kind of back and forth on this argument a little bit, uh, but is it that all these kids are, are so fast in Texas because they are in track, or is it that these kids are just freakishly fast and so obviously they go run track in the off season? Well, I, I think I there are in where I'm at, South I twenty in Dallas. I mean that that's kind of track land, and a lot of these kids are playing football, but a lot of these kids are also just track kids. I mean, it, it really is fast. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, I went to the Texas Relays and watched the Woodlands run a 124.5 in the 4x2. I mean, that, you know, that, that to me, I'm a track guy. I like track. I mean, that to me is insane. Uh, and, and then, but they weren't the only one. I mean, uh, in the Golden Triangle down, down uh, kind of on your way from Houston to, to Louisiana, I mean, Port Arthur ran a 39.9 something last year. And these kids are in high school. A thirty-nine. That means everybody ran less than ten seconds in the in the hundred. That's fast. So I, <laughs> so I mean, it. I think a lot of it has to do with the competitive nature that these kids are out there competing, and they're kind of you're getting that push towards greatness. You know, competition breeds excellence, all that kind of stuff. Um, but a lot of these programs, the and especially in Texas, and I, I really Bryles was kind of the first one to say, if you're not running track, we're not going to recruit you. Uh, if you're not in the state finals for something, we're not going to recruit you for football. Or for, well, really for, for offense. We're not going to recruit you to be a receiver unless you're just some freak. Uh, and usually you're running track. And so I think there's such a big premium, especially in Texas, on track. And a lot of people just kind of like powerlifting is for their offensive linemen. Track is allowing those kids mono we mono to compete and you can't hide in track that's what i love about track you can't hide in it your time is your time and the only way to get faster is to run fast so you better keep running uh and i think that's why there's such a premium especially in south dallas 
of just running track and being part of a track program and making it kind of fluid with your football program. Yeah, I I go back and forth on it too because as, as like you said, I mean, you know, Art Bryles can say that because Art Bryles can can pick and choose the four fastest receivers that he wants, you know. And and I think a lot of coaches misconstrue that like, oh man, if you're going to get recruited, you you got to go run track. Well, if you're not very fast, maybe you should lift more. You know, you got to get stronger. And then you and then you can right. probably and then you know now you know you could probably fill in some of the gaps there. And then yeah, you know you, you'll you'll learn how to run. But the the thing I see that happens is so many of these kids, it's like, okay, you're not in the hundred. All right, perfect. Well, you're a 195, 200 pound football player, and what do they do if a kid can't run the hundred? They put them in the 400. <laughs> Right. And now you have a kid that, that runs the 400 and all of a sudden now he comes back to me and he's 185 pounds. All right, coach, I'm ready to go play linebacker. Uh, what happened to the 15 pounds we put on you? So, I mean, that, that's, that's one of the problems I have with it. I think some people are are unrealistic. And then I think it's the, the other thing they say is that everybody needs to go run track, you know, well, coach Harper, bigger guy, he's not going to get on the track, but he, he might be able to go throw the shot put or discus. Well, what if, what if he can't figure out the form and he's throwing the shot put 45 feet and he's not placing, but you know, football is his primary sport. Should he stay out for track, even though he's throwing it 45 feet and all of a sudden he improves, Hey, you threw it 48 feet and you never placed in a track meet, you know, or could he have been on the football field getting better? So that's kind of the, the, the things I have to weigh all the time. So it's a tough battle for well, me I- sometimes. <laughs> I will say this. I always tell kids, if you want to be a receiver and you want to be a defensive back, you probably should run track. And even if you're a younger kid, I am more focused in on you being com- competitive and doing something. The the linebackers and linemen, I'd love for you to come and run track and be competitive and things like that. I know Bumper Pool, who he's at Arkansas right now. Um, he's one of the top linebackers in, in Texas. We we He just wanted to come out and compete, and we could get him out in 100, and he's just this big, big white kid running down the track and he wasn't overly fast but he's out there competing and and like you said as long as they're focused on you know keep maintaining weight and you're not just running them into the ground in the 400 and that's where I think Texas has an advantage of having powerlifting Mm -hmm. for those kids for the linebackers and linemen that don't necessarily feel like they fit in at track or that's not necessarily something that they uh, are interested in, uh, they can at least say, hey, well, I'm really good at deadlift and I'm really strong and I can squat and I can bench. And so I'm going to focus in on powerlifting and giving those kids an outlet to compete. I think that's where Texas kind of gets, uh, kind of has that for those kids. And then you have track for kind of your skill kids. And that's kind of how we do it. It's like, hey, every skill kid needs to be running track, but then every every linebacker, lineman, uh, you know, tight end, fullback, whatever, they need to be in the weight room and they need to be powerlifting. And that's kind of the expectation. Awesome. Well, Makes way more thing, sense. You know, the other thing about in Texas, though, too, is, is a lot of times the, the track coach, it seems like, and the powerlifting coach are football coaches as well. So there you go. they're with the kids, too. You're not sending them over to some track coach that you don't know that maybe doesn't know anything about running or not. You know, you, you don't really know. But, but if you know, if you're – I know in Texas you have to coach a second sport, so – you're over there at track you're at least still around your guys that are competing in track at the same time right and so you become an extension of the program and I think you go look at some of the best programs 
in the state and kind of the other programs be, just become extensions of those of the football program for your football kids you know so even in basketball you're getting conditioning and you're doing explosiveness so you know a lot of a lot of people now they want the multi-sport athlete and they're telling kids quit specializing uh so for us, we're big proponents in look, if you want to do it, that's fine. But you know, you gotta make sure that you're you're working out, you're in the weight room and you're competing in something. Uh, we don't want you just sitting around not doing anything from the time, you know, from November all the way through to August. You gotta find something to do to compete in. Yeah, I think I mean I I totally agree. I think it, it gives, you know, recruiters another data point. You know, it it proves your speed. You can't just say, Oh yeah, I ran a I ran a four four at this one combine. Yeah, who was who was timing it? My mom. Okay, cool, great job. <laughs> uh, you know, but you know, you're going to have a legitimate hundred time uh, on these kids. So I think you know, track provides a lot of that. I personally, I ran track. I love track. I love going to it. It just really, really bothers me when when everyone's kind of like, well, everybody's got to do it. Well, it might not be for everybody. You know, let's let let's right. let everyone everyone kind of kind of make their own choice on these things and. And if a, a kid wants to specialize, awesome. I'm going to help that kid train. If a kid wants to do four sports, cool. I'm going to teach that kid how to, to properly nutrition himself so he can do these these four sports and then hopefully find an off-season to where he can and get the things and also maybe have some legitimate goals for that kid as far as what he wants to do. But it's always an interesting debate. Like I said, I, th I think there's always pros and cons and everything. But let's be honest here. Watching state track and watching kids run in Texas – is one of the funnest things to watch. I, I love watching that, that state track meet. Yeah. And we're actually in like Lancaster at one point was a top four by two team in the, in the uh, country. Uh, DeSoto was right down the street. Duncanville is one of the biggest schools in Texas. They've always got fat. I mean, so we are kids. We're, we're all, we're around it all the time. Uh, so I, I kind of enjoyed track season. Uh, and going around and just seeing like a kid run a ten five every week in the hundred to me, I'm just like, geez, that's amazing. <laughs> Heck yeah! You know? <laughs> so, it's Coach, fun. you you also um, mentioned at the at the beginning that that you also uh, run a website, and so as a as an offensive line guy that, that's trying to figure all that out, I obviously um, haven't had a chance to check it out yet. So, uh, kind of curious, when did you start it, and, and kind of what do you got going on there that, that people can go check out? Yeah, I. Run, obviously, it's called match quarters. I'm a big uh, kind of a four two five four three uh, quarters guy. I do talk a lot about three down. I'm, I'm I consider myself ambidextrous in the sense that I can talk about offense. I grew up. My dad was an offensive coordinator, um, and I can talk about defense. And then I can talk three down. And I can talk four down. To me, it's all kind of the same. Uh, what I really needed for me was a creative outlet. Uh, I went through a coaching transition. First time in my life I've ever had a head coach get fired. And I never had experienced that, uh, even with my dad. I had never experienced a coach actually getting fired and then kind of a whole new staff coming in and being part of a transition. And so when I was at Lovejoy, uh, our head coach got fired. I was going to be the defensive coordinator the next year. That's kind of why I took that job and getting everything set up. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to have that. I'm not going to have that creative outlet of being able to be the defense coordinator calling in kind of scheme-wise. So I needed to put things on paper. I've always wanted to write but I've never had an outlet. And so I just started writing football articles. The one thing that I know how to, how to do and write. And uh, I kind of figured, well, I got imparted a lot of this knowledge through Bryles and Bennett. 
and and kind of one I want to kind of be Bennett's legacy I kind of want to write about a lot of the things that he he does and how he thinks about football because I think he does a great job and most people around the country would agree and then I also got the unique chance of being able to see how to defend the greatest offense that's ever been created with with Bryles and I I'll argue with anybody on that. uh and so the unique perspective I have you know and then I just started trying to find things that uh where's where's some good defensive content and there just wasn't a lot of what I really was looking for that's kind of taking complex schemes and breaking them down for the layman and so I just started writing and and it's gotten picked up by a few people and and uh you know it's kind of become a little bit popular at least in my in my standard and then I decided I wanted to write a book uh, so I wrote a book, Cautious Aggression, Defending Modern Football, uh, which you can find a link to on the site. And and really, the very first part of it kind of talks about my path through coaching and kind of what I kind of how I got to Baylor and kind of my kind of story, you know, about me. And then it goes into how you go about defending the spread and modern defense, modern defensive structure. Because defense anymore, you can't be a meathead. You, it's an intellectual game. I mean, football now has gotten to the point where you have to be intellectual about it. There is no such thing as an A-gap plugger at Mike anymore. Um, you have to be able to cover in space. and You have to be able to manipulate cover downs. And, and what is a cover down? How do you do that? And so kind of from that, I just started writing. And really a lot of it is just me growing as a coach and putting it on paper and Hey, I found this scheme. This is pretty cool. Or, Hey, this worked for me. And this is how you do it. And, uh, I enjoy really being able to kind of deliberately practice defense and calling a defense every day. Cause as you, as you know, you put something out there in social media or out into the internet, the world of the internet, you're going to get a response, good or bad. And so I've luckily I've had a pretty good response and I get to talk to people every day and get asked questions every day. Uh, and I just get to practice. So when I get my next opportunity to be a defensive coordinator, then I'm ready. I don't want to fake it till I make it. I want to be able to be ready and kind of just go from there. That's awesome. And we'll put a we'll put a link in our website as well. So so if you guys are listening to this, uh, you can go to our website and, and find the link as well. If if you're already on our website listening to it, so it'll be in the show notes as well. But um, it's really cool, Coach. Like you said, you know, you you wanted to write about it. You wanted to talk about it. When we kind of started that, uh, it kind of seemed like a daunting task. Like I was telling people, like, yeah, it's just not that easy to do. But um, if if you are good at being able to write your thoughts down and you know about your subject, it's actually not that hard to create a website and just kind of get it going. And like you said, if if you stay at it every day, it's it's pretty cool to be able to just have an outlet to talk football, especially in the off season. Yeah, and I. It's been it's been a lot of fun for me. I get to talk football, like you guys said, I get to talk football every single day. Um, I get an email or a DM or uh, somebody tweets at me every day about one of my articles. And, and to me, I don't ever take it personal if somebody doesn't like it or doesn't, because it makes me think. And, and really, I told one guy one time, he, he was thanking me, and I said, trust me, I'm getting more out of the, our conversation than you are. Uh, you know, you may be learning something new, but here for me, I got to really make sure what I'm telling you is right. And so for me, it's kind of going through my thought process and making sure my pedagogy uh, of the of defense and how I teach it is 
good enough for, for a majority of the people out there. Because if it's good enough for a majority of the coaches, then I know that I can translate it down to my, to my kids as well. And so it's been really fun. The book has gotten a good response. You know, I wanted to write it uh, to where it kind of explained it kind of complex because a lot of people get get worried about quarters it's complex split field how do you do that how do you run one coverage over here and another coverage over here and i always tell people if you can count to three you can run quarters because the corners always have one the safeties and outside linebackers always have two and mike always has to find three so if you can count to three you can play you can play quarters and so you can kind of manipulate the coverage any way you want from there uh so that's kind of how I did it, and, and it's been really, it's been really in, in, an enjoying and enriching experience. Yeah, Coach, I, I've been on your website a couple of times, and I've read some of your articles. You do a, a phenomenal job, and, and I'm glad that you're, you're doing it because, you know, there's a lot of guys out there that I think are, are maybe, you know, a little bit reluctant or gun-shy or, or worried about it. You know, I just think once you kind of get past that initial, you know, fear or whatever it might be, you're kind of like, you know what? it's something I'm going to do anyway. And, and if people are going to hate on it, Hey, whatever, if people are going to like it even better. That's awesome. But either way, I'm going to have fun with it and I'm going to learn something from it. And I can definitely tell that you're doing that, man. It's good stuff. Well, I, and you know, I appreciate it. You know, football is so cultural just for, and regional, you know? And so for me, it's just funny. Like I, I live in the big 12 region and I watch big 12 football. And so for me, quarters coverage is a way of life. I mean, you go and look at Charlie Strong, Manny Diaz. I know they were both Texas DCs, but you go look at those guys. They come in here trying to run single high, a bunch of zone blitzing, and they got ate up and they didn't survive. And so, uh, you know, you go look at, you know, we visited Baylor uh, a couple weeks ago, and they're they're trying to find ways to implement quarter schemes. And they are East Coast guys, and they were big time cover three, uh, you know, man free kind of stuff. And you get into the Big Twelve, it makes you look at defense a little better. So it's not that it's a better uh, it's a better product or it's not a better product it's just the reality that you live in in texas is that you're going to get the spread and you're going to get what the big 12 looks like and so you have to be able mm -hmm. to prepare for it and it's proliferating through the united states and more and more people are going to spread and so it's it's kind of i just kind of wrote it as hey if you're interested you're interested if not it's still there as a resource i just think people are so afraid of quarters because it's front loaded teaching wise but once you install it it runs itself and it adjusts to anything well coach has been great uh coming up on an hour so just just wanted to ask you the last question i ask everybody uh you're watching film you're watching an offensive line what's something they'd be doing that would make you think really highly of their offensive line coach you know i always watch their feet and their hands uh where's their where their hands placement where their feet placement at uh you know kind of the angles that they use uh, you know if an offensive lineman is getting taught angles and hand placement and, and and to me that's that's really big and i think too also is if they are driving and they're fighting to the end you know you can tell i think a lot of times your players reflect who their position coach is and what they're getting in that meeting room uh, and so if they're playing tenaciously, a lot of times, you know, you're like, okay, who's their O-line coach? I mean, because to me, that's the biggest thing is, you know, are they just mauling people, you know, but at the same time, are they, you know, are they doing it with some technique? And, and you can usually tell that by their footwork and, and, you know, their effort during the play. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to again thank all of our sponsors. You guys make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, 
long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.